This is Mission.org. I'm Alec Baldwin, and you're listening to Marketing Trends and the Leeds Art Week. Hello, and welcome to Marketing Trends. This is producer Ben Wilson. Today's episode features an interview with Ed Brialt, CMO of Aprimo. In this interview, Ed talks about predictive marketing and the dark funnel, people who are in your buying cycle, even if you don't know it. He talks about how to shine some light on that dark funnel and how to engage potential customers with compelling content. He also talks about conversational marketing, ABM, and much more. It's a great interview with a really thoughtful guest. A big thanks to Ed for coming on the show. So without further ado, please enjoy this interview with Ed Brialt, CMO of Aprimo. Marketing Trends is brought to you by Salesforce Pardot, B2B marketing automation on the world's number one CRM. Are you ready to take your B2B marketing to new heights? With Pardot, marketers can find and nurture leads, close more deals, and maximize ROI. Learn more by visiting pardot.com slash podcast, or click on the link in our show notes. Here is your host, Ian Faison. Welcome to Marketing Trends. I'm Ian Faison, Chief Content Officer here at Mission.org, and we have on the other line, Ed, what's going on? Ian, how are you? It's a great day, and uh, it's going to be a great day to talk about marketing, predictive demand, conversational marketing, content marketing, a bunch of things with you. But first, how did you get into marketing in the first place? Yeah, great question. I, I certainly didn't choose it. I like to say marketing, you don't find marketing, marketing finds you. I felt like I was pulled into it throughout my career. But going a little bit back on that statement, I actually did study uh, marketing in in college. So university at uh, Bowling Green State University in Ohio, studied business, studied um, computer science. I guess you could say I was confused with what I wanted to do with myself. So I'm like, oh, I'll do the business tracks and also do the computer geeky stuff because, you know, for that fear of missing out. And so I got my education and marketing was a part of it, had internships with companies like Intel Corporation, First Energy. And um, actually, one of my first careers out of college was in nuclear energy. So I got my start in big data, building advanced analytic models for nuclear power plants, of all things. And then I said, I'm done with this. And uh, I got into the business world. So got into uh, business model transformation with Big Four Consulting at the enterprise level, just dealing with tons and tons of business complexity. And doing that, I really started to gravitate towards the marketing aspects of business. And I was just intrigued by it because it it has a true balance of art and science. And then from there, I just I jumped two feet in and uh, went all in on marketing. I love it. Did you ever feel like kind of that early imposter syndrome when you were in marketing initially that like you weren't supposed to be there? (laughs) Absolutely. And uh, what's interesting was I was always positioned as the subject matter expert or the expert. And I had folks who were, who had, you know, decades of wisdom more than me, yet I was the one in the room who had, was representing the expert. And absolutely. I always said, um, yeah, who am I? I don't belong here right now. So, and I, I just said this to myself. It was my mantra: fake it until you make it. Ed, just keep yeah. going. Just fake it, and eventually get to the other side. You know, I think that the fake it till you make it thing is like one of those kind of like 
phrases now that has taken on a life of its own where it's like people take that to mean like deceptive, you know, like, Mm -hmm. like be deceiving rather than the way that, you know, you use it where there's no situation in your career in, in the vast majority of cases, you are always promoted to a point of a position that you've never been in before. It's just like how business works. You know what I mean? It's not that you're, you know, being deceptive or anything. It's that you have to use, whether it's mental models or, use mentors or, you know, colleagues or whatever it is to develop kind of like your own path in your way. Did you have anything like kind of early days that were some of those like, you know, whether it's a a mentor or a mental model or something like that? Mm -hmm. Yeah. I mean, I would, it's not deception. I would call it another way to say it or reframe it is focused confidence. Because many times if you put yourself through the process and act as if, I say that all the time. Act as if I am the expert. Act as if, if I don't know, I'm going to be a great listener. Yes. Yeah, so mental models for me are that, number one, everything you say can and will be used against you. So use your words wisely. People love to talk. And if you're the listener, you've got the advantage because you're collecting the data. And then if you're really good at that process of listening and then evaluating the information, analyzing it, synthesizing it, playing it back, before you know it, just that back and forth exchange, you're adding value and you're growing from a career standpoint, from a knowledge perspective. And also, if you always have that mindset and mission to always be a student about whatever it is that you're doing, that's a mental model that helps you get that energy to continuously do it. So I think it's um, not so much deceptive as a a method to grow and stay engaged in in what you're doing. So tell us a little bit about Aprimo, what you're working on um, for our audience that that might not know about the company. Absolutely, Aprimo. It's a it's a brand. It's a company. It's a product that I'm highly passionate about. But Aprimo, think about some of these enterprise brands, some of the best brands in the world who do powerful storytelling through content, and they have to do it at massive scale with high levels of complexity, they use a primo technology to power that storytelling. So companies like Walmart and Lego and Ikea and uh, U.S. Bank and large technology firms, any of those uh, organizations who need to reach audiences and are working towards excellent customer experience and engagement and need lots and lots of content, have complex processes, have large budgets, and they need a a platform or technology of record to be that single source of truth uh, across the enterprise. And so, yeah, we have 25% of the Global 100 who are customers and trust our technology. We have amazing technology partners uh, like with Microsoft and we leverage, we're pushing the envelope, and we want to pull all of these enterprise brands into the future, leveraging uh, artificial intelligence as well as agility uh, in processes because time is uh, of the essence and we don't want to miss opportunities. And we generally want to raise the value of those marketers and experienced leaders and those who have content connected to commerce to the next level, pull them into the future and Build technology that's future-proof and can continuously evolve in a rapidly changing world. 
So I want to get into predictive demand and intent marketing. Mm-hmm. Um, like, how did you get, first get introduced to the idea of predictive demand in the first place? Absolutely. So my job is to grow the brand, grow revenue, grow pipeline. I mean, that's the CMO's job and tell stories. So when you get to the business aspect of growth, you do a lot of analysis. You do a lot of introspection. You look at a lot of your past performance, win-loss data, et cetera. So what we found out is that opportunities are out there, but you just can't see them. So when you think about a total addressable market for your growth and you know market fit for your products, what was commercially missing was what's the total addressable in market? Meaning there's the global total, but then who's actually out there shopping actively right now? And some of the data says that whenever we were having, you know, the hand raisers, the opportunities come to a primo.com, convert through forms or through our conversational marketing channels. They were so well educated. They knew the space. They knew what they were trying to solve for. They knew the solutions out there and they really just wanted to see your wares. They wanted to see a demo. And so they're already 57% of the way or 80% of the way through in their process. But the problem is you're at a disadvantage because you're playing the game that they want you to play, that uh, maybe your competition has set traps for you for. So competitively, what we wanted to do was get into what we called the dark funnel, meaning it's out there, it's anonymous, there's shopping behaviors, there's intent in the market for a primo. How do we get out there earlier? And more importantly, how can we see it? What are those signals? What are those predictive indicators? And then can we mobilize and get ready for it should it come our way? And then how can we influence it to come our way? So we needed to leverage advanced analytics, predictive analytics that was you know, scraping the internet and buying third-party data to give us these indicators so that we could plan and prepare and get out there, not at that 57 to 80% whenever we were getting them, but get there at that 5% of the discovery process, the 10% of their learning phase, that 15% of their early buying cycles. Because what we sell is high consideration technology. It's a larger purchase, takes a lot of consensus. So we need to get out there and influence. That was our strategy. I love the idea of the dark funnel. Can you kind of expand on that a little bit, uh, you know, so that the listeners have a better idea of like, what is what is the dark funnel? Absolutely. It's not the dark web. Let me say that first and foremost. The dark funnel, if you, you know, taking some uh, methodology from companies like Serious Decisions, et cetera, where they talk about demand units within organizations. Uh, but let's take a company like Coca-Cola. Okay. Let's say that, you know, they're a large organization, very complex. There's multiple departments. And whenever somebody from Coca-Cola searches the internet or does some sort of online activity or behavior, those activities are tracked and made available for signal collection. And so there's all these third-party sites out there that collect and aggregate this online behavior. And then it's brought into a platform that we leverage that helps decipher intent from other web activity. So what we have to say is, 
and here's where knowing your customer inside and out, through and through, knowing your key personas, knowing what their mission is, understanding how they think so that you can say, this is, when you, we hear these things on the internet, these are the things that we can use to predict intent for they've got a pain point that we can solve. And then all that third-party data is collected and then it's brought into our view, our dashboards. So then we can see, taking you back to the Coca-Cola example, where in Coca-Cola there is a demand unit for what a Primo has to offer. And then what we'll do with that is the next phase, uh, which is the actionable piece, which is actually having account-based marketing campaigns where we create a very bespoke experience to go reach out to uh, those demand units in the dark funnel, buy media, create content, create infrastructure, and then have them, I like to say, follow the yellow brick road down to a primo so that we can then you know, get in there before that 57% uh, percent of the way through their uh, discovery journey. Did you find that some of the you know, I don't know if you look at it like a category or how you look at it, but things like digital asset management and productivity management, that some of those things were particularly difficult or like an uphill battle or, you know, like in, a, in an effort to stay competitive in the market, to stay top of mind, were there certain things that you wanted to make sure that you kind of like cordon off as, as your words versus like industry words? I'm curious to how mm -hmm. you look at kind of like that idea of, of category design and creation. Absolutely. And, and that's really how it is architected. There are uh, branded keywords and there are industry keywords. So branded things would be actually like words like a primo that uh, we would want to catch or our competitors. So they would be branded terms that if you're out there searching and you see a demand unit looking for a primo or one of our competitors terms, we know what they're interested in at that point. But then getting into the, you know, the industry keywords or, you know, solution keywords, you would get the long text strings like content marketing challenges or uh, digital asset management or omni-channel content or, um, you know, best technologies for the financial services industry or, you know, content for globalizing content or localization of content. So these things that you're you're listening for, you break it out and then you're able to decipher what is true intent versus maybe something like a false flag. And then as you let these models run and grow over time, you're able to see, okay, there is high intent in the market for a specific term like digital asset management or what we thought was going to be a key term actually is something that's searched by accident or picked up, it's a false flag. So you're really able to stay ahead of what the market is looking for versus, you know, when you buy data from third parties like Hoover's and they talk about, you know, this or, or Forrester, you know, where the they'll have research that says, you know, di the digital asset management market is a billion dollar market. But when you have data that you're seeing, that you're sourcing, what's meaningful to you is, how can you turn that into a commercial transaction? What's commercially interesting for you? We had a recent guest who talked about how the CMO needs to be the chief markets officer, where it's about knowing 
the market and being the, you know, the expert in the company at the market that you're serving. It seems like with predictive demand and intent marketing, you know, and I think we've kind of like as a, you know, group kind of like collectively, we, we fundamentally understand SEO like demand for certain search terms, but other types of like buying signal demand, I think sometimes is a little more nebulous, especially like omni-channel, like we're kind of talking about a little bit. How much knowledge do you think goes into like the prep of knowing what the market is versus being able to take action from those insights? It is all about the prep. I mean, you really have to you know, there's no guessing. You have to do the research. You have to know the markets. You have to know truly what is relevant. And there's a lot of analytic tools out there. There's a lot of utilities that you can use to leverage. But there's no like silver bullets. You really have to leverage the available uh, analytics and and tools that give you indication of what you should be looking for, searching for, you know, embedding in your content to get some of that, you know, that organic traffic and to work on your the domain authority of your your sites, etc. So how you do that is you get the best available data possible and then you've got a continuous test and learn mindset in action that's part of your execution. So it's that's that thing that's always on, that's always working, that you're never done doing because things change as the market's moving. So you got to keep that constant finger on the pulse of what is trending, what's important, and then, you know, what's going to get you in. Uh, so I would say then, you know, taking action on it is is another thing. You know, it's one thing to find out what it is, but then marketing is it's an art and a science so what i was really talking about was the science piece yeah but if we talk about the art piece now that's that's how you respond to it because you need to think creatively you have to engage you have to be continuously interesting to your audience and be valuable and you have to be a, a trusted source everything i just said is a huge challenge. Yeah. And it's table stakes, right? I mean, well, and this is where, you know, you talk about this idea of like content sprawl, right? Is like, um, we've talked about on the show, people who are kind of like creating content for content's sake. I'm curious to get into that. What is your content philosophy? What are some of the, the ways that you've seen people manage like the massive amounts of, of content that they have that they're pushing out to be, you know, right place, right time, that real time engagement. Yeah. And it, the philosophy, it's the mindset. It's like, why content? And there's a number of reasons, right? There's content to build audiences, content to be helpful, content when you think about the funnel, what are the right types of pieces of content as you want to move your audience through a journey? Well, you can't just create content for content's sake, it really should be based on data and what your objective is. So unless you've got a clear objective for content, don't do it. I would say that really get to know who your audience is, what would be valuable to them, and then create content that is, number one, valuable. Like, do you read it and it, do you feel like you just drank a glass of water and yeah. it was it was bland and it had no flavor and there was no zero calories and there was no value or you know is it is it a meal replacement drink right where it completely filled you up was valuable 
that is the difference between you know the right and wrong approach towards uh, building content. Yeah, just because uh, <laughs> waters, just because waters is necessary, doesn't mean that uh, that you're going to tell your friend that you drank a glass of it today. Yeah, I had the most amazing glass of water yesterday. Actually, I did. It was uh, water from uh, a spring. In, uh, I do. I mean, I do every day. But Oakland <laughs> water is absolutely delightful. Yeah. Um, but yeah, it's not. Um, yeah, it's not um, worthy of sharing or talking about, and you didn't really learn anything from it. So I think it, it's really spend time, do research, partner with experts, and think about what's that element of knowledge that you can provide to your audience that nobody else is doing because you want to be differentiated. If you're building a brand, and one of our objectives at Aprimo is to be a thought leader on specific topics, we want to make sure that we serve not just at a surface level, but the deep dive expert, I like to call it how, now, wow content. How, how do we do it? How to, right? Roll up the sleeves. Here's an example. Here's a success story. Here's how a company did something great uh, with digital asset management or customer experience. Also now, listening to the market, what's going on in the economy? Something that's interesting right now, not to go off on a tangent, but it's been 10 years since we've had a recession. And the longest we've ever gone before was 10 years. So creating content right now about are you recession-proof and how are you planning, how are you doing financial scenario planning uh, for your marketing budget next year, you better believe that's some now content that we're going to produce. And then wow content, right? Just that mind-blowing, the future of those things that get you really excited. Maybe it's AR, VR, or I was in Las Vegas last week and I saw Microsoft do a um, a very immersive mixed reality demo. That just blew my mind. I mean, that's something that would be interesting to to use to, to attract an audience. So how now wow is a good framework. I like that. You know, we, we talk a lot on the show about like marketing needs to be remarkable. Like you need to be able to take that thing and be like, I just heard this amazing story or <clears throat> this amazing thing or something that you share with a coworker or it's something you share with your spouse or a friend or whatever it is. Like if it's not worth, you know, sharing to someone, then you didn't do a good enough job. Like it's just, you know, at the end of mm-hmm. the day, you know, and whether or not, you know, every single person is going to share it, but that is kind of another thing. Now, the downside of that is everybody shares puppy videos, you know, like everybody shares stupid memes and stuff like that. So there is a trade-off there where it's like you can't optimize for the wrong metric. Do you think that, you know, as like the next generation of content marketing comes into into sight a little bit better, how do you think that, you know, technology can improve personalization and can can improve some of these things? Absolutely. Yeah, I mean, we are we're competing against, you know, kitty cat videos and puppy videos and, you know, the, uh, the bottle cap challenge. Um, and that's in their long form scroll of media. But I think to answer your question, it would be leverage some of the most cutting edge formats. Things like we're doing uh, at a Primo are AR and virtual reality to create engaging, immersive uh, content experiences. And having that sort of, we call it wow your audience, that's a driver for us right now, but not so easy, right? So a company my size versus like some of the examples that I gave you who are our customers, where there are these billion-dollar and larger global companies who have a high level of 
well, huge audiences, massive reach. They've got complexity or compliance that they have to uh, work with. They could have regulated products as an example. And when you try to create great experiences or deliver content at scale like that, what often is overlooked is all that behind the scenes work to do it. Um, so that's where having something like artificial intelligence to help you with managing your content and then serving that content up and then having a, a content strategy, which I like, I use the term atomic content, where you have your you know massive amounts of pieces of content, whether that's the AR, VR, tech snippets, uh, photos, anything that's used to create the experience, having that all managed in a way that creates what I like to call a smart content hub so that you can literally have content stored at its most atomic level. And then from a personalization standpoint, it has all the metadata in all of the uh, very robust record structure storing it so that whenever that experience happens, whether that's an inbound experience, a push experience, or a real-time experience, you're able to serve up that content at that right moment of need, the context of need, on the right channel, and it's relevant and valuable for uh, who you're trying to reach at that point in time. And that takes a lot of behind-the-scenes work. It's something that's often to overlook. I've, for years, I've seen uh, organizations just focus on the touchpoint experience. But if you reverse engineer that touchpoint experience of an awesome experience, there was a lot of work that went into it. And it's, it needs to be powered by great technology. I want to switch into conversational and kind of, you know, expand on this. You know, we had um, Craig and Sean from Qualified on who are working, you know, on a ton of conversational stuff that I think is just absolutely fascinating. This idea of having an actual salesperson in the right place, right time. What do you feel like the next evolution of conversational is? I mean, I guess we're kind of in the first one where you have the intent marketing that we talked about, that predictive demand, plus those real-time conversations that can happen, you know, in a moment in time where that like, hey, do you want to talk to someone in the next five seconds instead of five minutes or instead of five hours? Mm -hmm. When I see conversational marketing, to make it timeless, I would just say humanizing communications. And we talk about, you know, humans and um, they're pre-wired in certain ways and how we communicate is, you know, visual. We you know we look at facial features. We look at body language. And where communication with traditional comms has really fallen down is, well, now you're looking at an email. Now you're looking at long-form copy. Now you're looking at a form. So we've created all of these barriers in between our effective communication with who we want to have a conversation with. So if we can remove that, remove the silos, remove that friction, take the unhuman aspects of how we communicate and how our brain wants to work out of the picture, I think if we continuously chip away at that, you know, this first iteration with the chatbots and, you know, even video right now are great. They're doing a good job. But to f take that to the next level, that's with everything. It's You can actually take some traditional forms of communication like an email, but make it conversational. And one of the terms that we're using at Aprimo is we call it microcopy, right? So don't do the long form anymore. Nobody's got time for that. We think about how we communicate well 
with you know texting and with uh, FaceTime on our mobile devices. Why do we like FaceTime? Well, we can see who we're speaking to. So I think the future of conversational will continue to chip away, remove those barriers, and just allow the thing that's never changed in marketing. We always say the world's changing and marketing's changing and it's never. The one thing that's the same is the people and you're not going to change that. Yeah, no. And I want to push back on the like nobody has time for for stuff. I, and I think to, to clarify that when you're doing conversational, Nobody has time for, hey, go read a white paper. That's It's the wrong place, wrong time for that sort of a thing. I always think about like conversational as when you get on the on the phone with a, you know the robot voice and you just smash zero as many times as you possibly can because you're like, I don't want to sit through a single second of this person telling me my options, even though like, you know, at one point in time, it's like, hey, this was revolutionary. There's just options now. Like nobody has time for that, right? But now you can have you can put those options in a message immediately with like saying, hey, you know, from that from that intent, here, here are four things that people like often reach out to or like ask us a question right now. And then it's like, you know, talk to an operator or whatever, you know, talk to a customer success person, whatever it is that they want to talk to. And I think that that's the sort of stuff where it's like once you get down the rabbit hole of, you know, five or six or seven questions in and then you say, Hey, you know, if you're looking for, you know, a way to follow up on this topic, like down the road, you should check out our white paper. You should check out, you know, the podcast series that we have, or you should check out, you know, whatever it is, because I think that that's where like it is the, Hey, signing off now, like if you're looking for something else that might be helpful, but I think you're exactly right that it's like, people don't even want, you know, a massive paragraph in text when people text them in general now, it's like the one line kind of answers. So I think just like breadcrumbing those ideas out to how people want to be communicated with and just allowing them to talk to a human being as fast as humanly possible, if that's what they want to do. Mm -hmm. And just to add a little more, but, you know, sometimes we don't want to talk to a human, right? And maybe it's three o'clock in the morning and one of my friends likes to say it's a glorious time to be a lazy shopper. Maybe I'm, I'm shopping at three o'clock in the morning for a car or I'm, I'm researching uh, something specifically and no humans are around, right? Because humans, what do they need to do? They need to sleep. They go on vacation. We work specific hours. But if we can have some machines keeping up the, the conversation 24-7, 365, no vacations, that's great too. Or the context of where I am. Maybe I'm in a board meeting and something came up and somebody mentioned a specific vendor I should be looking into. I go to their site, I don't have time for a meeting, but I can get some quick questions answered right there with a chat bot. Then go back to your original question. I think it's going to be a nice blend of humans and machines working together as in a partnership. Totally agree. I, I love the idea of augmented reality, not you know, artificial intelligence, or excuse me, augmented um, intelligence rather than artificial. Um, yeah, there's that it's nothing helping. artificial about it. It should be the the optimum state of it. I want to get into some campaigns that you've run. What are maybe one or a few of your favorite campaigns that you've ever done? Definitely account-based marketing related. If I could connect back to what we're talking about earlier with predictive demand, it was running campaigns where we leverage the insights of predictive demand. And we basically said, we, we actually saw 
there was a hundred account. Well, there was a lot more than a hundred, but we picked a hundred accounts which had intent scores above seventy-five, and they had various ranges of engagement scores uh, with us. And we basically said we're going to sign up these hundred accounts, one hundred days. We want to convert X number of them within that time frame, and we basically. You know, like some of the best home run hitters, they point to the outfield that they're going to hit the home run, and they're that bullish, and they just, you know, they crack the bat and they hit the home run. It was that. We called that um, a, uh, we actually looked at uh, what were some of the gnarliest surf pipelines out there in the world, and one that came up was the Bonsai Pipeline out in Hawaii. So yeah. it was an internal campaign, internal language. You called it the Bonsai 100, and uh, got the whole team rallied around it, and it was 100 days, 100 accounts, 100% focus, 100% engagement from our complete company. And uh, that by far was one of my favorite campaigns. That's really fun. Um, yeah. I've never uh, – where's the bonsai pipeline? It is it, – it, well, it's in Hawaii. I can't get too specific, but uh, it's known for one of the best uh, spots. Oh, that's funny. All right. Yeah. Um, B-A-N-Z-A-I. Leave it shrouded mystery. What about uh, any tips or best practices on ABM campaigns? Absolutely. Uh, ABM campaigns are hard to scale. So you really need to have your approach where you have leveraged the intent analytics as much as possible. Know your finite capacity. You know, know your the capacity from a budgeting standpoint because they can be costly. And you really have to tier them out and... Uh, go after what we call pipeline acceleration in a very sparing way. So that's a very bespoke campaign where it's very high touch, super customized, uh, super tailored uh, on the personalization scale. You can't do all of your campaigns like that. So from there, you cluster the rest. And then you basically create groupings or sets of accounts which look similar. Maybe they're in the same industry. Maybe they're looking having the same problem. And your value proposition and content resources that you use can be used in a more scalable way. Um, so you have to be economical about the design of it is what I would say to make it that's work. That's great. Yeah, that's absolutely great advice. Do you align – how do you align your team around those types of campaigns? Is it kind of like – you know, a six-week sprint to get those certain things done? Is it a rotating kind of like ongoing campaign? Like how do you how do you structure those? Yeah, we have very specific cadences for each and each has a specific timeline. It's got a specific set of steps. We automate as much as possible about the process and we use technology that helps keep our business development representatives and the marketing automation working together hand-in-hand in a very coordinated way. And things as they progress down a funnel and, you know, engagement scores go up and we start to see them pull into the funnel. Then you get into our sales funnel. Uh, and then from there, we change some of the tactics. Now we're knowing more about those accounts. And from there, it takes on a, a sales cycle timeline. I love that. That's great. Okay. Let's get into the lightning round. Ooh. <laughs> <laughs> These questions are fast and easy, just like marketing automation with Pardot. You can go to pardot.com slash podcast to learn more about B2B marketing on the world's number one CRM. Fast and easy marketing automation, just like these fast and easy lightning round questions. Ed, are you ready? I am. 
Number one, what's your favorite one-day getaway in the Pittsburgh area? On my bike, cycling for about 100 miles. 100? 100. So my brother-in-law does the death ride in the mountains uh, here in, uh, in Northern California every year. And uh, I, I think it's a, I think it's around 100, I'm not sure. But it's literally called the death ride. And I just, you know, you all are amazing people. I don't know how you do it. I couldn't do anything for 100 miles. I couldn't drive for 100. Yeah, that's, I'll, I'll do Ironmans, which are 140.6. So that's not even the full distance of uh, 112, which, which the race calls for. But yeah, love to be on my bike. It's my happy place. What app are you using on your phone that's the most fun? The most fun. LinkedIn's pretty fun. TikTok, my daughters all have TikTok, so they turned me on to it. And I've totally aged out of that, so they would be embarrassed that I said that. But uh, that's the only fun app I really have. But I like to understand what they're doing so that I can, again, be prepared for that. When that workforce comes comes into play, what kind of technology are they expecting? So I like to stay in touch. Do you have a favorite book or podcast that you've read or listened to recently? Favorite book or podcast? I love Henry Rollins. I think he's got an amazing podcast. If I hit the lottery, I would, uh, I'd hire him to let me tag along with him and follow along on his adventures. Hey, we'll get him. Uh, I'm sure we could get a uh, some fun voiceover work for for Henry on a on a marketing trends original here down the road. It would be intense, that's for sure. Yeah, no kidding. I mean, he's a marketing pro, that's for sure. That, that guy built a brand like none other. What about favorite thing to do in your free time or maybe a hidden talent or passion? Hidden talent or passion. I do like music. I like punk rock music. I like thrash metal. So I grew up playing the drums. Uh, that would be a hidden talent. I don't I actually brought it out once for a promotion. We were... Uh, doing an amp your content promotion and uh, my team's like ed pick up the sticks bang on the snare you know play the kit so i did that but no, i, I generally like um, hip-hop and uh, you know punk rock and uh, thrash metal what are you most excited about for the future marketing it has to be when seeing again and this is one of the things that comes around where the things that you only imagined could be happening actually happen so five years ago, things that we're doing today in marketing were thought you know, not to be possible. But with the advances in technology, again, back to artificial intelligence and what big data is doing for us, just those things, machine learning, it's just so intriguing. And then the, the processing power, the computing power that's now available in the cloud for us to do things that deliver great experiences and uh, create again, a frictionless experience, you know, with the, with the rise of expectations, us using technology for good, that's what I'm really excited about. And then I, you know, again, you know, that future of, of what marketing is, is, is being the foundation of it's being built today. But are we going to be able to have that creative vision to bring it to life? That's always the challenge, but um, that's what I'm excited for the challenge, the mission to get there, and leveraging all the tools and what's available to us as marketers in the best possible, helpful, uh, meaningful way. What is your best advice for a first-time CMO? Get comfortable being uncomfortable. Get data. 
know how to speak the language of the CFO. Ooh, I like that. Final question. What do you never get asked that you wish you were asked more often? I, that, I'm like totally stumped on that one. I have no idea. Well, how, well you answer that question. Um, <laughs> turn the tables. Um, this is great. Now, now, you're, now, now the pressure's really on. Here's my um, problem. It, it's like, I don't think people would think it would be interesting maybe, or I don't know. Yeah. I mean, I would say one of the things that, you know, I think people don't ask enough is like, what's your leadership philosophy? I think that's one of the oh, ones okay. that that's I, a- uh, I love leadership. I studied it a lot at West Point. I studied it a lot in my time in the army and I'm super passionate about it. And I think it's just kind of like one of those things that we as leaders kind of like never talk about, which is crazy. And like myself included. So that's probably one of the things. Uh, Okay. I I mean, yeah, nobody ever asked me about my hiring philosophy. Oh, yeah. Let's do that. All right. What is your hiring philosophy? Uh, My hiring philosophy. uh, First of all, you know, culture fits one, but very quickly it's Fire fast, hire slow. Sounds harsh, but recruiting and finding talent to match a team that matches your culture is the number one most important thing you can do to create a great company that's willing to go on your mission and that they're willing to go on that mission for the amount of time that it takes uh, to achieve it. So what do I mean by that? Take your time, know who you want, really envision. So I'll I'll work with my team. When we need to find some new talent, we will go through, we will talk about the objectives they need to achieve. We'll talk about the right type of person that this would be. And then also, if they don't work out, you tend to know immediately if it's not working out. And that the worst thing you can do from a team standpoint is to tolerate uh, or keep on staff a team member who isn't keeping up or isn't fulfilling their their part of their, their role because that brings the morale down, right? So there's the, the whole, the entirety of your team's energy gets taken away because for me, I'm an energy person. You're either giving energy or you're taking it away. If you're just taking it away, then that's an issue, right? Because you can start to starve the complete team of energy. Uh, and then with that, uh, the, the other thing around culture fit. We've got a cookie cutter culture. For me, diversity is very important. And it's not just ethnic backgrounds. It's not just nationality. It's not just male or female or, you know, or sexual orientation, those sorts of things. It's really, no matter who you are, what you look like, do you bring a unique set of experiences a unique outlook? And do you generally have something that you can give that the team doesn't have today? Why that's important for me is because my audience is amazingly diverse, all regions, countries, with all different thought processes that they have. And so I need to create a a very diverse team. And in order for me to do that, there needs to be room for that diversity to find its way in and not have a candidate not be considered because they don't fit some mold um, because who I want, there is no mold for. Yeah, I no, I love that. And I, I always think about the fact that, you know, you should always kind of feel that 
that little bit of, you know, is this person the right, you know, the right fit because they're not exactly like me, like that's a comfortable place. And then if, you know, over the first month, they're just really not, then I, I, I totally agree. I think that's, that's awesome advice. Ed, this has been awesome. Thanks so much for coming on the show. Anything else, any final stuff to plug? Everyone should check out at Primo. Absolutely. And uh, we'll link up in the show notes. Um, but anything else? I, I would say that, um, you know, check out a Primo. We're doing some great things. Love Salesforce Pardot. It's it's really going to help us tell our story. And um, it's that perfect blend of technology to reach uh, the audiences that we're trying to, to grow. So thank you for having me today. Yeah, we love them too. So, you know, it's a it's a happy world when uh, thanks thanks to them for for helping us create this this show and getting it out uh, into the world. Without them as sponsor, we we'd all be lost in the marketing trends world. So, we we love them. Um, this is true. Thanks so much, Ed. Thanks, Ian. Thanks for listening to this episode of Marketing Trends. Marketing Trends is brought to you by Salesforce Pardot. World-class B2B marketers use Pardot to generate and nurture leads, close more deals, and maximize ROI at every stage of the sales cycle. Empower your marketing team to become revenue-generating superheroes and let Pardot's data analysis keep an eye on the bottom line. Learn more by visiting pardot.com podcast or click on the link in our show notes. You have eight seconds to make a connection or risk a click away onto the next topic. The difference lies in your ability to deliver relevant experiences to your audience across devices and across channels. But delivering on a really great experience is impossible without the right people and the right technology. You've got the right people, but your technology choices will make or break someone's experience with your brand. At the center of gravity of your digital experience, Brightspot Content Management System can deliver relevant content, personalized experiences, and cross-channel synergies to create unforgettable brand experiences. So you can be a bright spot in someone's day. Head over to brightspot.com forward slash marketing trends to find out right now. From global crisis to hunger relief efforts, the messages you deliver save lives, inform important decision-making, and help keep communities safe and sound. The speed and scale of your content needs to be delivered faster and on a much larger scale. Brightspot Content Management System has supported some of the world's largest brands to communicate on a global scale. From Johnson & Johnson sharing critical information with their customers to helping Whole Foods tell their brand story to a global audience. Brightspot is designed to handle rapid iteration and personalized messages to those you care about most. Learn more at brightspot.com forward slash marketing trends.